the peace, the peace of Christ to all of you. It's a little bit of a dangerous practice for this particular community, especially if you, you know, say the words five to ten minutes, especially if we had coffee in our hands. This is going to stretch into uh, sermon time pretty significantly, which is fine. Um, good morning, lovely humans. My name is Nelson. I am one of the pastors here at Artisan. I'm very grateful for today, just joining the chorus of... Wow, we get to be here. Um, and this to stand on this floor, if you were here prior to COVID, you know this looked a little bit different in here. Um, the doors were not green, and now they are. And they're kind of they're on brand. Like, check it right here. That's pretty much right. I checked that fact with Zach Bulick to just make sure it's actually, and not just my old 49-year-old eyes. Um, and to sing together, you guys, man. Thank you again, Jenny and team, for leading us this morning. Also good to be with you who are joining us via live stream, those not yet ready to be here in person or unable to do so. This is just, it's a weird in-between time, and I want to encourage us to continue just being kind to each other. A number of times this week I sat down to craft what I want to say this morning, and the tears were just right there. And I think it's for a bunch of reasons. And one was the thought that this sermon isn't only going to be delivered to a camera. So many, like, weeks of that. And it's just like, this is nice. But hi, camera. And bless you who know how to use cameras. Um, another reason for tears, I think, was just reflecting on the efforts that we have made to be together as we have been able to do. And I think even the bonds created by what we've shared together. Um, and another was this, this awareness that we actually just get to be physically present. And physically present, not just as a group of friends who miss each other dearly, although we are that and miss each other we have. Not just to finally meet and get to know those who have connected with Artisan during COVID, uh, although that too is important and that will happen, is happening. And not just because we get to hug people again, if people are comfortable with it, that is, but because we get to gather together in the same room as embodied human beings around Jesus, around the one who is worthy of it all, as we sang, who is the ep epicenter of our faith and practice, the one to whom we seek to apprentice ourselves in every sphere of our lives, the one whom we did not choose, but who chose us, the one who has not called us servants, but friends. We get to keep walking the journey of faith together. Almost literally arm in arm now. To immerse ourselves in a fresh awareness of what it means to be the body of Christ in and for our city. We get to worship. We get to make bigger the name of Jesus who by his spirit is remaking us in the image of our always loving God. I just want to say out loud that it's okay to have missed different things while we've not been able to be here in person on Sundays. There's a place for excitement and seeing people, reconnecting with people, for passing the peace and extending that time. There's a place for noticing the tiny humans who have been born <laughs> among us over the past 18 months and about how the tiny humans that we've known for a while aren't so tiny anymore. There's a place for that. 
There's also a place for nervousness and anxiety around all of this. Last week, when we were at Strathcona Park with many of you, I talked to a few folks who are all saying in different ways, this feels weird. And it does. It's just weird. It's weird to all of a sudden not have to social distance everywhere we are, to wear masks all the time, realities that we have had to cope with over time. And new muscle memories have developed. Like you can't just undo these things overnight. With so many hours spent on Zoom, I'm noticing I'm just kind of giving thumbs up all the time to people. <laughs> even if we're like this right in person, like, yeah, I heard, totally heard you, even though I, you're on mute. And thumbs up. It's going to take a while to sort of undo that, to walk that one back. Um, there's a place for grief, as we've already been naming, the many losses, uh, thanks to Spencer. Spencer was, we talked about doing a prayer like this. And before I got started on it, um, Spencer offered what he had created. I'm like, this is so great. You have done the bulk of the work here already. So I added a few smithing aspects, but really just want to say thanks, Spencer, for helping us name this and to offer that in prayer together. So there's a place for lament. There's a place for deconstruction. And there's a place for celebration and hope. We're all worn out. We're fatigued from moving through the blunt challenges of COVID, but somehow God has sustained us. And the future is before us. We're here. So we have to celebrate that too. Next month, we're going to take a short series called The Spaces We Need. This is just going to be one way we can tend to one another in the spirit in these various spaces. It'll help us, I think, hopefully, to prepare for the fall season as well for what we hope will be a return to more consistent rhythms in the life of our community. Today, we, uh, amidst all of this, today we simply get to be with Jesus together. So I want to do that by first hearing a familiar text in a fresh translation. This is Philippians 2, from verses 1 to 11 in the message. And I want to ask a couple of things of you as you listen. One, to keep in mind that this was a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul from prison to a group of Jesus followers in Philippi. So the words, the one who wrote these words is someone whose future is uncertain and whose very life is at risk. So circumstances that are perhaps a bit more uh, resonant, relatable than they were even a year or a year and a half ago. So that's the first thing. Remember a little bit of the context. Second, as you listen, would you participate in a little mini Lectio Divina with me? And it's just kind of part one. Listen for a word, phrase, or image that seems to stand out to you as I'm reading. And afterwards, I would love for just a few people, wherever you are, to share a word, phrase, or image that stood out to you. We don't hear from everyone. We won't pass the mic around the room. But if there's a few that would like to offer um, a word, phrase, or image that stands out, that'd be great. Are you with me? Okay, let's hear the word of the Lord together. And the words will be on screen as well, so you can follow along there. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. 
Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Anyone want to share a word, image, or phrase that stood out to you? Just go ahead and call it out where you are. Love each other. Deep spirit and stayed human. Stayed human. He stayed human. Wow. Yeah. Forget yourselves. Any others? A community of the spirit. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for offering these. This is a letter from prison. But most scholars think these words are actually from a pre-existing text, at least the section at the end, from verses 6 to 11, and it's known as a Christ hymn. Christ hymn. That would have been familiar to the church to whom Paul was writing. Many believe Paul was quoting lyrics to a song people knew. That's mind-blowing to think about. So if the Philippian church, in fact, sang that text, what would that have sounded like? Almost like we tried to sing the collect this morning. Uh, before Artisan Church was born, I was a professor of worship arts at Columbia Bible College in Abbotsford, and I was just starting out. I read every book I could. I attended every worship seminar and class I could to learn how to help students plan and lead worship well. One time, I got to be part of a songwriting workshop with Brian Dirksen, who wrote Refiner's Fire. I lift my eyes up. He's kind of a big deal. Um, among the many topics he addressed... Brian emphasized the importance of ensuring that we write songs that are theologically sound. And I understand that to mean that they convey ideas and images about God that are resonant with scripture and orthodox tradition. And I'll never forget, Brian Dirksen, in that workshop, he quoted Dr. Gordon Fee, a New Testament scholar, who said, show me a church's songs, and I'll show you their theology. Show me a church's songs, and I'll show you their theology. And what he's getting at of course, is the idea that we tend to forget a large percentage, at least the content of books uh, that we read, the sermons we hear, super comforting thought as a preacher. The songs that we sing together, however, have a way of sticking in our memory. We all know this intuitively, don't we? we there's something about this combination of lyrics and melody and harmony and rhythm that has a special power to help words on a page or off a screen sink into our bones. 
show me your songbook and I'll tell you your theology. Could it be that our sung worship is the most accurate measuring stick of what we think and believe about God and ourselves in relationship to God and each other? That's a question for your Sunday lunch. (laughs) Take it with you. So all this to say, if Philippians 2 was in fact a Christ hymn, then the early church sang some incredible theology together. It's a hymn that speaks of the presence and the mission of Christ as God who took on flesh, who offered himself as sacrifice and is now exalted. It tells the whole Jesus story in a few lines. I love what Judy Fentress Williams said about this text. She said this hymn has a liturgical function as it presents the familiar into the text and as an element of worship creates the opportunity for a shared encounter with God. Perhaps this is the source of Paul's confidence and joy in the midst of imprisonment. Perhaps indeed. And haven't we longed for just that, a shared encounter with God? One that doesn't have to be mediated by a screen. The opportunity for a shared encounter with the God behind the text is one reason I just wanted to invite us to share with each other, even briefly, in the sharing we get to listen on how the Spirit is speaking among us, to listen in. We get to practice the attitude of the Jesus we read about in this text, to love each other, to agree with each other, to be deep-spirited in friendship, to not push ourselves to the front, to set privilege aside, to widen the circle, to increase our willingness and our capacity to listen to other voices, and not just our own. A question I've been asking recently is how have other cultures and people groups, non-white ones in particular, come to see and experience Jesus? Now, by the way, when you think of the Apostle Paul who wrote this text, what do you assume his skin color was? Anyone see pictures of Paul in Sunday school? I mostly saw him. I still tend to think of him as a white dude. Paul was a Jew of Middle Eastern origin who were often olive-skinned in complexion, not unlike modern-day Arabs. In the book of Acts, though, there's this curious little episode. Chapter 21, uh, Paul's about to get dragged off to prison again. So in verse 37, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian? who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And he was granted permission to do so. But the Roman soldiers, the point I want to take from this, mistakenly thought he was Egyptian. We've all seen what Egyptians look like, right? A few images. And this last one is actually an early depiction of Peter and Paul together. Has it ever occurred to you that the majority of the New Testament was written by brown-skinned people? In fact, there are hardly any white folk in the Bible at all. Maybe some of the Romans, the Gentiles in Galatia or Ephesus, but the main players are all brown Middle Eastern people. They aren't white which among other things means we better be intentional about inviting non-white interpreters to share their perspectives on what these texts mean and how they might be speaking to us here 
today. So let's narrow the, narrow the question I asked earlier to our text today. How have theologians of color seen and understood the Jesus of Philippians 2? I bought an unusually large number of books during COVID. Anyone else? Anyone else? Uh, amen? Got an amen over here? Um, a huge reason for that, friends, is my library, frankly, is too white. It's too white. One book I picked up is called Unsettling the Word, Biblical Experiments in Decolonization. I'll read you the description from the back. For generations, the Bible has been employed by settler colonial societies as a weapon to dispossess indigenous and racialized peoples of their lands, cultures, and spiritualities. Given this devastating legacy, many want nothing to do with it. But is it possible for the exploited and their allies to reclaim the Bible from the dominant powers? Can we make it an instrument for justice in the cause of the oppressed, even a nonviolent weapon toward decolonization? In unsettling the word, over 60 indigenous and settler authors come together to wrestle with the scriptures, rereading and reimagining the ancient text for the sake of reparative futures. So with the help of one of the book's contributors, a Mohawk woman named Anita L. Keith, I want to invite us into another brief contemplative listening experience. So I'm going to read a poem and then her reflections on that poem, which as we'll learn is also an ancient ritual known as the sun dance. This is called Dancing with God. The people needed a savior, someone to call their own. The enemy had come, killed and destroyed the ones they had loved and known. Devastation lay all around. Could he hear from on high, from above? A lamb was provided. He was chosen, he was the one. He walked humbly and obediently. He submitted to what had to be. They pierced his flesh till it bled and fastened him to the tree. They, they pulled him high for everyone to see. All day he hung in the merciless sun's heat. The night came, there was no relief. He was committed to the journey, to the atonement for sin. He gladly and willingly paid the price. He was after all, the living sacrifice. The teachings of the elders came back to him like a flood. The sun dance was the way a young brave showed his love. He knew it was time, time to step up. To the tree his life he would give in hopes that his loved ones would be blessed and live. The young brave remembered the dance, a dance between creator and him a dance of the soul touching God. And in that moment, the heavens opened anew. He made petitions for others, for the many, for the few. It was an interchange between spirit and spirit, a giving of himself, a time to let go, a humbling of oneself and trusting heaven's flow. The four days had come and gone. Carefully and slowly, they lowered him down. The brave weathered his journey well. Weakened, he stopped and centered himself on the ground. Then with one last surge of energy, he pushed backwards as hard as he could. He felt the bone trusses rip at his body. They ripped at his chest. Weary from his journey, he prayed for rest. He had labored hard. His strength was now diminished. Then gently and softly, he whispered, it was finished. 
No, Anita Keith's comments. I am a Mohawk woman living in Plains territory. For generations, the Sundance, an integral ceremony to the Blackfoot, Cheyenne, Cree, Dakota, Lakota, and Nakota, was practiced routinely in these lands. Once criminalized by colonial powers until 1934 in the United States, 1951 in Canada, the Sundance is currently experiencing a resurgence as young and older rediscover traditional life ways. I am a Christian woman. And my question is whether the church can see Jesus, the cruciform servant in the warrior of the Sundance. Can we celebrate this centuries old ritual that sustains indigenous communities or is that beyond our imagining? I see the spirit at work in the Sundancer. Does he utter the name of Jesus? No. But the more profound question is, does he behave like Jesus? Now this is where we begin to feel discomfort. The seed of God is planted in every heart. At birth, we are acutely aware of someone greater than ourselves, someone who made us. When I look at the sun dancer, I perceive the heart of that one. In Philippians 2, Paul calls us to have the same mind as Christ, the same love, and to be of one accord. That quality is evident in the young warrior. He goes to the tree in humbleness of mind, not valuing himself better than others, but considering the needs of the wider circle. The warrior makes himself a servant and becomes obedient unto pain, and if need be, death. He allows creator to work in him and through him to gift others. And it is creator's good pleasure that he sundance, offering prayer for the well-being of the people. What of us? When the Spirit calls us to sacrifice for others, will we submit, give, and go? Hmm. Unlike the sun dancer, we are ones who do utter the name of Jesus frequently, but I want to invite us to hold Ms. Keith's more profound question. Do we behave like Jesus? Do we practice the Jesus way? Jesus is the one we center in our language, in our prayers, in our gatherings, in our songs. What about in our bodies? I started out this morning naming some of the many experiences and emotions and states of being we bring into the weirdness of this season and even this day. I know we are all over the place as a community. We've been through something here. We're all going to need a minute. We're worn out, we're excited, we're hopeful, yet we're fearful and anxious at the same time. And just so we're clear, I include me when I say we. Even so, friends, even so, let's welcome Paul's words as a gentle invitation this morning. If we've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in our lives, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to us, if we have a heart, if we care, is this true of you? of us, of me, then may we live and treat one another the way we live and treat one another reflect the same attitude Jesus had. Whoever we are, however we've come, however long we've been connected to this community, however long we might yet be in another state of in-betweenness, however distant from God of faith we may feel at the moment, may we retether ourselves to the one who, while he had equal status with God, did not cling to 
that status, who set aside privilege and became human, who lived selflessly, obediently, and whom God honored because of that obedience. May we see ourselves not as part of some inner circle of privilege, but part of a wider circle, each one worthy of love. And may our re-entry into this shared experience of encountering Jesus together serve to propel us into deeper communion with God and each other, to greater openness to the Spirit, and a renewed desire to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Amen.